In this episode of the Daily Weekly, we are going to look at the university's recent book ban giveaway that happened in early October on the university's Diag. The University of Michigan Library received a grant from the Literature, Science, and Art Initiative to give away over 2,000 banned books to students within three days. This event is in partnership with the Arts in Resistance theme semester that many students are participating in within this specific academic calendar year. Some of the books being given to students include The 1619 Project, The Perks of Becoming a Wallflower, The Handmaid's Tale, and much more. All the books have been banned by schools around the country and local libraries nationwide. We are going to explore in this episode of the Daily Weekly the variety of concerns about why certain books are currently banned throughout the country and its impact on the future of education relating to literary analysis and bigger picture of the impact of societal reality that has brought thought-provoking conversations to classroom for many years. I'm your host, Claire Jones. Stay tuned. First, we will get student perspectives on their ideas about the overall idea of book banning and if they feel it's an appropriate action to take place for the future of grade school education. Additionally, we will see if any current University of Michigan students have read some of these books that are currently banned in some state legislators throughout the classroom. This field audio was originally collected by content creator Isabel Dubot. Can you say your name, year, and major? I'm Sassy. I am a second year, and I'm studying biomedical engineering. My name is Eddie. I'm a junior, and I'm a mechanical engineer. My name is Valerie. I am a sophomore in robotics. My name is Aparna. I'm a f- current freshman and I'm an econ major. My name is Purva. I'm an econ major and I'm a junior. Here are a few of the books that were given away in the banned books giveaway. Have you read any of them? If so or if not, have you read other popularly banned books like The Catcher in the Rye or To Kill a Mockingbird? I've actually read The Glass Castle. I read it in school in high school. And I've also read To Kill a Mockingbird and like other popularly banned books. I don't think I've ever read any on the list, but I have read um, To Kill a Mockingbird. I've read The Glass Castle, To Kill a Mockingbird, and Catcher in the Rye. I've read To Kill a Mockingbird in high school. Yes, I've read To Kill a Mockingbird, but not any of the ones on the list. Why do you think that some of these books may have been banned? Most of those books deal with like really complicated topics that can be heavy for people and like might be a little more controversial and like offensive. I I can see a reason why something like that would get banned, but I wouldn't say I would like necessarily like 100% agree with why it would be banned. I think that they touch on some very sensitive topics, um, race, mental health, economic status that some people either don't know how to talk about or don't want to talk about. There are a lot of sensitive themes in that. I think those themes and those topics are important and necessary to talk about, but sometimes they can be like politically sensitive and just socially like taboo almost. There's like a larger push, I think, across like the United States. There was a thing in my like hometown where like a lot of local politicians were running on like book banning platforms for like the Board of Education. 
people don't like the themes that they see in these books and that makes them feel uncomfortable just because maybe it, like they disagree with like a lot of the statements these books are making politically. Even though they're uncomfortable with the themes themselves, they'll like sort of make it like, oh, this is inappropriate for children. Like children shouldn't be reading about this. Do you think that books that contain more serious topics such as race, sexuality, or social class should be taken out of school curriculums? Why or why not? I don't think they should be just because I feel like school is the area that we should be exploring these topics in where it should be considered like a safe space for people to learn and ask questions. I think that banning them can make it even more like stigmatized and make things worse. I think it should be up to like person by person discretion. I personally would want to educate myself in like those kinds of topics. I think it's important to like understand and like know the different kinds of scenarios that people go through. But I wouldn't necessarily like want everybody to get like shielded from those things because it's really not like representative of like the actual world. I don't think that they should be taking out of school curriculums because I don't think it's really up to schools to censor what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate for kids to learn about. I think that it can lead to more serious censorship down the line. Being from Florida, I know that it starts with book bans and continues on to like certain AP classes that you can't take as a Florida student because it goes against the law that is limiting how much people can decide on what their education is going to look like. I definitely don't think they should. Just off the top of my head right now, I'm taking a comparative literature class. The title of the class is The Camps in Public Memory, and it's kind of about the Holocaust, and it addresses really sensitive topics. Um, and there are a lot of books that we're reading that have been banned in certain states, like Mouse, it's like a graphic novel. It's about the Holocaust, and there are a lot of like really graphic images, but um, from my experience in that class, I think a lot of the readings that we do are really, really important in like, putting that issue and that topic area in perspective, and it's just been really educational for me. I definitely think they should not be taken out of school curriculums. I think they're important for kids to be able to like learn about these issues and a lot of kids may feel like represented by these books as well. Do you think banning books is the right thing to do for the future of education? Why or why not? I don't think so. I think that we shouldn't be banning books or topics. I think censoring them or like letting people know that we will be discussing something that can be offensive and maybe triggering is important to let people know and like make that space feel very welcoming and like open so people can talk about that but I don't think that they should be banned because we need to learn about these things and um, acknowledge that they exist and have an open dialogue about difficult topics like that. I do not think so. I don't. I think that um, students should be able to determine what's appropriate for, for them to learn if they want to learn it. Definitely not, no. I don't think so. I think I mean, there might be like very specific scenarios where like it may be, but I like largely like this whole like thing that's going on right now, I don't think it's correct to ban these books. Next, we are going to look more in depth at the policy that is being enacted throughout some parts of the United States and why some states have pushed hard for the end of reading certain books. After reaching out to multiple professors on the University of Michigan Ann Arbor campus who have expertise on various policy matters related to book banning, we did not receive an opportunity to interview these professionals. Instead, we are going to have content creator Sean Kelly, who has been researching this topic for us, break it down to see what he found. Hi, Sean. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. 
Can you tell me a little bit more about what you found about which states are pushing forward with more restrictions to end the education of certain books? Which states are leading this at the moment? Sure. Book bans have primarily been pushed forward in Midwestern and Southern states. According to this data I found from Statistica in early April this year, it was observed that in the first half of the 2022 to 2023 school year alone, almost 1,500 books were banned. And the most prominent perpetrator of these books were South Carolina, Utah, Missouri, Florida, and Texas. Texas having the highest number of banned books with 438 restricted book titles. And what are the reasons that the book bannings are going on and why are some books being banned over others? A lot of these books are being banned in a strategic way. I think this is more of a overarching type of censorship that's happening in schools with parents and legislators targeting certain categories or themes in books that they want to take out, specifically um, themes of identity or gender identity, with books that with books like All Boys Aren't Blue, Gender Queer, Flamer, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, as you mentioned earlier, um, violence, sensual, sexual content, and offensive language. These books include Catcher in the Rye and the Hate You Give, and sexual abuse in general. Um, a book like this would include The Bluest Eye. And what are the reasons for some books being banned over others? A lot of it goes into like certain themes that legislators and parents don't really want in their schools anymore. There's like this overarching censorship of different ideas that people find to be controversial, such as identity and gender identity, violence and sexual content, offensive language and sexual abuse, things that parents might find they don't want introduced to their children so early or at all in their education system, and things that many far-right politicians find that shouldn't be in the education system at all. On the topic of parents, there's been like this overarching sense of parents have more influence in their edu- in the child education system. In a New York Times article, there was a quote that I found that said, those who are demanding certain books to be removed insist this is an issue of parental rights and choice, that all parents should be free to direct the upbringing of their children. This is a contentious argument because parents against the book bans say the book bans violate the rights of other parents and the rights of children who believe access to these books are important. There are also a few different pieces of legislation being passed, such as the Stop Woke Act, which was passed in Florida, a bill intended to prevent any teaching that may cause students to feel accountable for the historical deeds of other individuals of the same ethnicity, and the parents' right in education law, which prohibits classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity in elementary schools. And a lot of these book bans are kind of complementary to those policies. Is this the first time that book banning has been proposed in state legislators? If not, when else did something like this happen? So I couldn't find anything that tied any type of pattern of censorship to a specific state, but I did find research from the University of Baltimore City that talked about a similar era, if you will, of censorship in the 1980s. It said that sociology professor Fred L. Pincus recounts that during the Reagan years, Christian fundamentalists began a growing influence in conservative American politics. Groups like the Moral Majority, a religious political organization, were a significant proponent of book bans in the 80s. Um, Many books were banned due to the absence of moral values aligned with Christian beliefs. This was because secular humanism was encouraged in schools to promote the idea that individuals could determine their moral compass without relying on religion. Groups like the Moral Majority claim that public schools are anti-Christian because they taught students that they didn't have to use the Bible as the standard for right and wrong. You know, I think it's really interesting to see that 
there's a lot of conflicting ideas about parents, what they think students should be reading. But I'm curious to see if you found any research that goes along with the disagreement among students who want to read some of these banned books and their parents who feel like the books are not worth reading um, in the educational setting are kind of prohibiting their kids to read these books. Like, have you found any backlash from students or anything of that nature? Sadly, no. And I think this is more observational coming from me, but I feel like parents who um, are raising their children not to read certain books will usually, those same students will usually agree with their parents standing on what to read and what not to read and probably advocate for the book ban, seeing it as a positive because that's the background that they were raised up in versus students with more open parents who are embracing like open knowledge and being open to any type of book that they want to read. There wasn't really any type of conflict between parents and students directly. So now pivoting to authors, have you seen any publications of authors um, of these books that are currently being banned who have spoken out about these objections in state policies? Have you, like, what's your take on that? What have you found? Yeah, author George M. Johnson, who goes by they, them pronouns, was interviewed by NPR to discuss All Boys Aren't Blue. The American Library Association identified the book as one of the most frequently banned books in the United States. Their book has been banned within 29 school districts due to its LGBTQ content and for being sexually explicit. Johnson spoke about the book's impact on young people and school systems during the interview. As the curriculum that is being taught in most school systems is heavily geared toward the straight white male teen. And so when, when we now can put books into curriculum that tells other stories that are non-white, that tells stories that are non-heterosexual, they're trying to make take them out across the board. The reason for books like theirs disappearing from school shelves is because they challenge conventional thinking and encourage students to broaden their perspectives. By acknowledging that they live in a world with, a di with diverse people who hold different beliefs, social identities, orientations, and cultures, students are challenged to think beyond themselves. However, there's also a really big problem in which, going back to how strategic these book bans are, um, while contemporary books like All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson can be defended by their author, a lot of these other books like To Kill a Mockingbird or The Bluest Eye or The Catcher in the Rye that are being banned are classical books in which their authors may no longer be with us, and therefore they're being scrutinized without the author coming to their defense. Thank you for joining us today, Sean Kelly. This year, the group Pen America, a nonprofit organization whose goal is to raise awareness for the protection of free expression in the United States and worldwide through the advancement of literature, is tracing that 113 bills across the country said it would negatively impact libraries or curtail people's freedoms to read. My name is Angie Early. I uh, use she, her pronouns, and I am the children's literature librarian for the University of Michigan Library. She is the main organizer of the banned books giveaway that occurred on the Diag last month, an event that inspired the podcast team to dedicate this episode to the exploration of the increase in banned books nationwide. This interview was originally conducted by content creator Riley Stipe. How do you think your expertise in children's literature affects your position on the banning of certain books? I manage a collection of children's books on the third floor of Hatcher, which means deciding what is in that collection, what I have to you know, take out of that collection, where I can store these kinds of things, making decisions to support researchers on campus that are looking at how children's literature works in multiple disciplines, whether we're talking about 
the field of education, but I also have worked with people in terms of the field of psychology and sociology and, and in the English department, certainly in the French studies department, in the German department, kind of all over campus because children's literature affects so many components of our culture, of our academic world. Of, of our everyday lives. And so um, it's kind of an interdisciplinary kind of uh, thing that I, that I do. I'm a former teacher myself and um, bring that experience as well as working in children's departments of bookstores, cataloging children's books in libraries, which means describing them so that people can find them in things like our catalog. So um, that's some of the expertise that I bring into the role and some of the Things I do like helping researchers do their work, but also like going into classrooms and talking about children's literature with future teachers, librarians, and many other folks in campus. Have you noticed a trend in which types of books are being banned from schools? So what we're talking about here with the book challenge or book banning movement is we're really talking about how we have conversations with kids and how do we work with our school systems and our education system moving forward with things like curriculum and learning our history and learning how to express ourselves in writing and reading and learning more about the world around us. And, um, you know, there are many folks who have different ideas about how that should happen. How do we learn about ourselves, our world? What is the role of our education system in, in that? And that's where we get in these conversations about what is taught in schools, what is available to students, how do we engage with um, our school boards, our superintendents in, in, in school administration, our teachers, and certainly members of our community in terms of how that, that works. And this is where we have conversations about what is in, in, in books and what is available to books and who can make those decisions, right? Um, the thing about teachers and librarians and uh, school administrators is that they are taught and trained on how to make these decisions um, and they are entrusted with that responsibility through their accreditation their education and training before they become teachers and administrators and librarians and library educators and they're making decisions for all students not just one student at a time have you incorporated any emphasis on the more infamous banned books in your research or writing assistance? If so, which ones and why? Yeah, I think of, uh, of, of researchers and um, academics like uh, Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop, who did her training right down the road at Wayne State University, got her PhD there and is uh, Professor Meredith from, yes, that school to the south of us, Ohio State, but she has done some amazing work in this area where we talk about sort of the diversity of children's literature and what do folks need, you know, what do we get out of this reading and writing experience? And she talks about the metaphor of mirrors and windows and sliding glass doors, what we need out there as readers to see reflected back to ourselves and to, to think about in peeking out into things that are that we have an experience or even entering into some of these things. And that is something that 
these books are attempting to do that are getting banned. And the American Library Association has done an analysis of the book challenge uh, support requests that they get um, uh, because they do a lot of work in this area and trying to help uh, school districts and librarians and, and, and communities kind of work their way through these things. And there are definitely trends in terms of the themes of these books. Uh, books that uh, are looking to provide mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors into the LGBTQ plus community for certain, you know, certainly in that area is, is the number one sort of area. And these kind of conversations have always been challenging in the education system. How do we talk about sex education? How do we talk about these dynamics in the history of the world? How do we talk about them in, in the classroom? And how do we, um, you know, sort of surface those things? So that is one of the, the biggest sort of pieces of, of the themes of that. But we're also talking about uh, a book like a people's history of uh, um, uh, an indigenous people's history of the United States. So we're talking about versions of, of history and who gets to write history. So we're talking about that, the 1619 product project, which has a children's book picture book application called Born on the Water, you know, um, having these books in the classroom. But the, the number one theme of this is definitely has to do with um, uh, themes of LGBTQ um, representation in the book and how in these books. From a strictly academic standpoint, do you think banned books is bad for education? So one of the things I do is I do go over to the School of Education and bring uh, examples of books to the classroom. When we talk about things like early education or how to read, you know, we are talking about the representation in many cases, if we're talking about things like first and second graders, you know, they don't have the reading capacity or reading comprehension. So how do we talk about things like the history of our country or our world in representation in, in picture books? And so I might bring a variety of books to a classroom like that, you know, a classroom that is working with that, thinking about the education of that population and say, well, you know, let's just look at these books together. Let's look at some of the, the things that are on the social justice books website. There's a particular organization that has a, a called social justice books that has a great um, listing of questions that they've adapted from many different sources to help you sort of think through, well, why am I using this book in my classroom? And that's the teaching of whether it's the teaching of this curriculum or math or science or you always having a, you know, the goal, what are you trying to achieve as an instructor in these circumstances? And for these future teachers, that's a question that they're asking themselves, no matter what the subject, the math, science, art, whatever it is, you know, that they're asking themselves, and how does this map to that goal? So I think one of the, if we're looking at a very bigger, sort of larger context, a historical context, there have been conversations about what is in the canon, right? The the educated, the sort of literary canon. What are what are these things that we value as a shared understanding of what is important for us to both not you know just to read, period, but also to understand how to express ourselves, how to understand understand how, what is valuable in the world, whose stories get to be told and read and and seen. 
and whose stories are missing from those uh, those decisions about what gets to be in the canon. And, you know, we've been through many, many examples of this over time. In my lifetime, you know, in many cases, if we're talking about like the 70s and 80s and 60s, we're talking about people like Judy Bloom and who gets to tell the story of, you know, sort of puberty and all of those things are just a, 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 this is an extension of those same conversations. And the stakes are high. We're talking about, you know, when you look at the self-harm and suicide rates of trans folks and things, you know, who is, are, are these people getting seen and valued in our society? If we take that, that out, um, you know, there's a reason why we have the canon so that we can have this shared understanding of the world and who gets to be a part of that is, is, is we are, showing like sort of what is the value of what your story is and your experience. From a cultural perspective, do you think that book banning will limit children's ability to think for themselves and engage in forming identities and thoughts that can be independently created? I do think, you know, of course, there are many, we might call them inputs, instructional, educational inputs in our lives and books are not the only way that we learn about the world. And, and so I, I get that. And, and there are more places where people can find community online in terms of, you know, uh, finding their identity, you know, Reddit group, or, you know, some of these other places. And I'm not saying that those are all negative or, in, or, or super valuable either way, right? Like, it, there are a lot of places where people can find their their team, their group of people that they can find some acceptance in that way. But this, you're leaving it to chance in a way when you take it outside of this traditional system, this educational system in the U.S. has been very much, you know, the cultural component of that is that it's supposed to be more of a, a leveling, like bringing people, you know, together and forward. When we talk about the integration of the education system, in the civil rights era, that was a guiding principle is bringing people together in, in these components. And when you remove that, it's just, it's just much harder to, to um, feel comfortable when you are in a setting where you are um, not part of the, the dominant culture. And uh, it, it just, you know, there are, there are health components of all of these things in terms of mental health, but physical health as well. We know what stress does to people, you know, just all of these pieces that it, it, it I do see a long, you know, sort of these long-term impacts and that you can also find online some really hateful parts, <laughs> harmful parts of the internet that can be really, really challenging to, to focus with in isolation rather than in this, hopefully, a school environment that is supposed to be valuing this diversity of thought and encouraging critical thinking. This episode of The Daily Weekly was produced by me, executive editor Claire Jones, and content creators Isabel Dubov, Riley Stipe, Sean Kelly, Ashna Guptapati, and Amanda Bellaconte-Perini. The Daily's theme song is composed and written by Gibson Gillette Barons. And be sure to keep a lookout for our next episode, which will analyze five new bills Michigan students should keep an eye out that are currently in the Michigan State Legislature.
Oh, 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 oh,